Welcome to the Eye on Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Arguably one of the most historic properties in the city of Annapolis is the Naval Academy, referred to as the yard of the campus. And with history, sometimes, you know, comes a lot of little secrets. And one of the best kept secrets, I think, in Annapolis is right here where we are. We're actually in the basement of Preble Hall at the United States Naval Academy Museum. And we're here with Managing Director Sarah McGlone and Senior Curator Tracy Logan. How are you guys? We're good. How are you? Good. Thank you for inviting me here. And I, like I say, I've never been in the basement of this place. I've been in the museum several times, but you've got all these signs. It's like, authorized personnel and dark windows and they're doing like uh, curating and uh, you know sort of a <laughs> restoration kind of stuff in in the dark it's very no. serious oh. yes yes we're very serious people yeah. um, do you guys grow mushrooms here no thank okay. god I mean, our building is very well protected against uh, water, fire, uh, temperature, humidity, all of those things. It's very well protected to, um, to keep the artifacts safe. Mostly we have the do not enter signs because people would um, just kind of wander back and sit down in your office and you would be like, hello, stranger, can we help you? Right, right. <laughs> like, I'm in the middle of this email. Did you have an appointment? Um, or they would touch stuff that we had out that we were working on and we're like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm sorry. Well, it was funny when I came down here, she's the, the woman at the desk said, oh, well, you can just go to the elevator just down, down the floor they're right there. I'm like, okay. And I go down and I see all these do not enter signs and, you know, they <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of look eerily similar to like biohazard signs. <laughs> yes, they um, do. And I'm looking around, I, I you know, tap on the window and they're like, somebody finally comes out and says, oh yeah, they're down here. Yeah. <laughs> we come back. But you know, and it's strange in Annapolis, Two of the best kept secrets are obviously the Naval Academy Museum right here um, and the Mitchell Gallery on St. John's and the colleges in Annapolis are hiding these things and we want to come here and talk to you guys about it. Thank you. So what is the history of this museum? I mean, obviously the Naval Academy and the Navy has a, you know, multi-hundred year history. And how did the museum on the Naval Academy start? The museum began in 1845, the same year that the Academy was founded. It's always had a collection, and for the longest time... And you time, haven't been here since the beginning, right? Oh, gosh, no. Okay. So, yeah, we, we've been here since 1845. They started collecting. There was a collection as soon as the museum, or as soon as the Academy opened, more or less. For the longest time, we were the only museum that housed a Navy collection. Prior to that, there were these things called Atheneums and Lyceums, which were kind of membership-based organizations that had things that you would come and look at for scientific reasoning, kind of a curio cabinet sort of situation. And we got the bulk of our older collection from two of those, one from Brooklyn in, I think, 1892, and then one from Boston in 1922. And then we got our first, our first like very owned collection in 1849, we became the official repository for all captured foreign flags under President Polk. So we started getting a bunch of flags in. Um, I don't know if you remember in a couple years ago, we pulled a bunch of them out of Mahan Hall um, over Crossway yep. where the auditorium is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were all a part of that 1849 collection. Um, so it's a lot of 
1812 flags, and then later on the collection expanded to include um, flags from the Spanish-American War. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, so how did how did you guys get here? Um, I mean, I know how I got here. I came up the steps and down the elevator. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, as such an historic building and an historic institution, I guess institution, is that the right word to use yeah. for the museum? But um, obviously we joke that you guys haven't been here since the beginning. But, how, I mean, how did you come there? What's, what's your backgrounds? So I went to St. Mary's College in Southern Maryland. Um, I'm actually from Minnesota originally, so I'm not technically a local, but I've lived here ever since college. Um, and I got an art history degree while I was there. And then I kind of took a circuitous route where I waited tables and traveled and did AmeriCorps. And then I decided to get serious about life. And I got an internship job with the Navy doing contracts. Um, that segued into negotiating international agreements, and then I kind of reached a point where I wanted to get back to what really interested me most of all, which was the art and museum world. So I got a museum studies degree after that, a master's, and found my way to the Naval History and Heritage Command. And I, I didn't even realize there was a whole wealth of, of museums and history to be had um, within the Department of Defense. But that's how I ended up here. Well, it's it's kind of neat because it's just a, I mean, you've got one topic that you're, you're, I mean, it's not like, you know, natural history or one of the larger Smithsonian's or something like that. It's kind of neat. How did, how did you, how did you end up getting here, Tracy? Uh, mine was slightly, slightly more direct. I'm, I'm a local born and raised and I went to college and then I went to grad school for public history, which is like museum studies. It's a little less based in theory and a little more based in community. And I had to move back home because of the recession. So I started volunteering at this museum and that parlayed into being a contractor for about a year. And then um, I think my first job title here was the curator of prints. Sounds a, a bit like the Hotel California. Once you come in, you, you can never you leave. Can, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my predecessor was 50 years here, so <laughs> still got a while to go. Well, you're, you do, do have some fairly big shoes oh to fill gosh, in there with uh, Jim Cheevers, who was here for forever, and I I enjoyed our conversations when he would always do the uh, Navy graduation mm -hmm. with uh, WNAV. We'd just sit down there when they weren't yakking away on air. We'd just uh, pick his brain and talk. Just uh, a wealth of information, but yeah, you are the senior curator here. But what does a what does a curator do here? Oh. I mean, are you are you? Hey, I found this coin, and I think it might be. Do you, you look at that and decide whether it's is that your? Yes. Okay. So. Um, one of the things I love about this museum is that we are a small enough staff that um, we can all kind of be involved in many different aspects of keeping the museum and like running the museum. So what a curator does is they, they curate, it's a verb. So I am the person that is responsible for the things that you see on display and the text of that um, and the larger overall narrative. But also, I am the person that donors contact when they have something that they are interested in potentially donating to us. They contact me and we have a little back and forth conversation. Then we raise it to our collections committee, which is about half the staff a little more, I think. And um, we vote on it for on several different criteria. And then um, we decide if we're going to take it or not. And if we take it, I get back to them. I let them know how to do that. And if we say no, we always do our best to try and give them other institutions that we think would be a better fit for their object as opposed to just saying like, no, thank you and walking away. 
Interesting. Well, here's totally off topic. A lot of times we'll get somebody saying that they found like a Naval Academy ring mm-hmm. or a ring that may look like it's part of the Navy or something something along those lines. And, you know, I imagine there's a zillion rings that are floating or floating around there and you know probably very few of them are you know museum worthy per se but i mean is that something that i mean would you be able to track something down i mean it's depends um for rings the best thing to do is one to check the inside for the inscription uh-huh. and then you can talk to the alumni association and then they can pull the like a full roster and find out the class year and they probably have the most updated address right. for that person um, we do have a collection of class rings. We generally take in the first class ring that we're offered from a class member, particularly if they are deceased. That tends to be the one that we put on display. And for the years that we don't have, we have replicas from Jostens or Bailey Banks and Biddle, whomever. We also kind of like to have one backup just in case, um, but not more than that. We try not to have more than two or three examples per sure. class year. Alumni also has their own collection of class rings. Um, but other than that, we try to reunite them with their owner if it's just a general lost thing. Right. Let's talk about some of the exhibits that you have here. You've got two, I would say floors, but then I get in trouble. We call them decks. <laughs> decks. Um, but I, I, and before we really get into that, but does your, do your exhibits, are they restricted to these two floors? Or do you take care of some of the historic stuff that is out there on the yard? A combination of both. Primarily, our exhibits are the two floors in here in the museum. We do lend things to other places on the yard. We try to lend to um, the library and to the superintendent, the, the commandant, and then the main office of the different schools, right? right? <laughs> like, like the office of humanities and social sciences or engineering or something like that. So there are our objects available on display in other places on the yard. We take their care seriously. We don't necessarily impose our own verbiage on them. So the the Jewish chapel and the crypt, they wrote their own text. We've read it and we approve of it, but that's not text that we like forced on them to tell our the narrative we want to tell. We are allowing okay. them to tell their own story with it. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the exhibits that are here within the, I would say, four walls, but however many walls there are here at Preble Hall. What exhibits, what can we see when we come here? When a visitor first comes, the first deck is primarily uh, the history of the Navy in general, in addition to the history of the Academy. So it sort of, a visitor can move clockwise around the gallery floor and see major naval heroes, uh, battles, events of significance, and the artifacts that represent them. And on the second deck, the second deck is devoted to our ship model collection, which is one of the foremost collections in the world. I think one of the highlights is the bone model collection, which is uh, located towards the back of the gallery space, but it's a huge draw for people, and it's one of the the biggest crowd pleasers. It's all, all of the models are constructed of bones that came from beef rations of prisoners of war from the Napoleonic era. So in addition to those permanent collection spaces, we are on the cusp of opening our newest exhibit, which is um, commemorating the 175th anniversary of the Academy itself. Okay, and what's that one all about? 
that one is both on the first deck and the second deck. And the first deck is more about the people that make up the institution. So we talk a lot about the midshipmen, the teachers, the demographics, um, some of the support staff that lives and works here on the yard. And we kind of went through our collection from the earliest things we could find all the way up until 2020 and filled in with photos and stuff where we did not have tangible 3D artifacts. But this place has such a sense of character and just its own little like funkiness that I think a lot of people don't see or understand so much when you are outside the walls you think it's all very straight laced but the mids are they're really they're college they're, students. they're college students yeah. and they have their own quirks and they have their own traditions and they have this sense of like ingenuity where they get anything done and we wanted to to represent that we wanted to represent everything about them that we could and really give a sense of the life that happens here in the the organism that is <laughs> this school and then the second floor is a little more traditional it's more about the the buildings and grounds and how that has shifted how this landscape has shifted since 1845 right because i mean it started as just bare land there weren't even it was camp severn wasn't it yes but even before that yeah. there weren't even native american settlements living on this portion of the land so it was just bare land um then it did become fort severin and fort madison just across the river and then that through like some wheeling and dealing <laughs> became the naval academy and then it slowly has expanded and through backfill and purchasing more land to be this little complex that we know it to be today well i understand that you're is that now is that your 3d the 3d tour um, or is that something going to be virtual that is going to be virtual well so the Second deck part of the exhibit is open for visitors. The first deck is not yet. We're just, we're right on the cusp of it being open, but we got waylaid by supply chain issues like everyone else in the world, very frustratingly. But those our exhibits are so new that you can't even see them in our new like 3D virtual tour. Okay, well, that's... And it's interesting. I mean, it was one of my questions I was going to go into that COVID's obviously, you said, thrown a wrench into the works with the supply chain issues. And as far as visiting goes, I mean, I know the yard was closed for so many months and and everyone was sent home and then it was, it was a ghost town and now it's back alive again. But as this 3D exhibit, is this a result of COVID or was this something like long in the plans or a little bit of both or? A little bit of both. Credit where credit's due. It was really the first the first inkling of it was from our executive director right after we closed for COVID. But I think we kind of all decided that was not exactly the best time, given it being March of 2020 and everything that was happening then. Sure. Um, so we kind of got backburnered, but never really faded away. And then I think Judy found you, right? She reached out to you? We were at a national night out. Ah. We had a table set up and um, Judy gave us a business card and... I thought this is uh, sounds like a person who can put all of the pieces together to produce the 3D tour that it's one of those things that modern museums have. We didn't have it. And then it became even more, more. crucial during COVID when it gives so, people a chance to so see. So the, the 3D exhibit display, I mean, is that is that just a 3D tour of the museum? More or less. It's pretty self-guided so it is both floors of public display and you can just it's super cool you can wander around you can click on stuff it gets so detailed that you can see the text on the walls 
we'll have some pop-outs where it provides more information about an object, but it's not just repeating what's already there. Um, but yeah, it's super, it's super neat. And we get a lot of international visitors. So I think it will be interesting to see to on the back end, the analytics of who visits this site mm -hmm. and who does our 3d tour to see if it, if it is again, more international people, like I'm kind of expecting, or if it's, um, maybe parents who haven't had the chance to come out and see their kid. And so they want to see the museum at least. There's been so many things out of COVID that have really expanded what would typically be a small audience into a global audience. Uh, we've talked to, you know, the opera and we've talked to the symphony here in town. And, you know, at, at best they would get 600 people in Maryland Hall, you know, four times a year. And now all of a sudden they're having 10,000 people tune into a performance and albeit they're not paying, you know, 70 or $80 to be at the performance, but uh, they're, they're able to get exposed to, you know, what we have here, mm -hmm. um, which is certainly something that that you guys are able to now this is available i'm, I'm going to presume it's going to be available at the website which is actually usna.edu slash museum correct it will be available on our website it's not quite up yet um so yeah our our website is publicly accessible there's no firewall or anything i think in the way and i'll make a big nice little landing spot for it for everyone to see and then yeah let me just clear a rumor, and, and this is just from the people that are listening here, is that I get a lot of my friends to say, oh, I live in Annapolis. Oh, yeah, I was over on the Academy. They're like, oh, how'd you get on there? Mm -hmm. Like, this is some big secure base. And I, and I don't want to say that it's not secure, but <laughs> it's, you know, it, it is. But this is a public, this is a public college. Mm -hmm. um, it is publicly accessible unless there's something that says it's not COVID or, you know, I know 9-11, they shut it down and then any number of different things. So folks that are coming into Annapolis, this is, even though there is a wall and there are fences and there's, you know, mean looking guys with guns and sandbags, <laughs> um, you can get in. You just need to show a proper ID. Yes. Um, and you can walk in. And I do recommend everybody to do it. Certainly the, the yard is beautiful. You can't get any better vistas, and especially in the spring. I was just walking around saying, okay, can't wait till the daffodils and the tulips come out. But yeah. um, and you've you've got the the museum. You've got the athletic events that are that are open. I mean, so this is not a closed campus, and um, they want you to explore it. For sure, we definitely want visitors. Um, we do get a, a fair amount of people who do the um, the tour through the visitor center, and then they come here. And I, well, I mean, we won't know really what the effect of COVID was on our demographic numbers until the end of it. But I think, I mean, and absolutely no shade to the New York Academy when I say this, but I think closing gate three to the public might do a little bit, like hit us a little bit, just cause it was so close and right there. Um, and then it's easier to get into the athletic events and easier to get to the concerts and stuff through the gate three gate. Right. Um, but I mean, it is still open through the gate one gate which, I mean, yeah, all you have to do is show a government ID. Most places, I think, are switched over to the real ID, um, and that's what they're requiring, or a, a passport, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, you can walk in, and then you get to walk the entire length of the yard and see everything, all the fun houses, all the beautiful buildings. You get your steps in on your you Fitbit and everything in. else. That's <laughs> not, a, not a problem there. Well, you know, with a lot of history and stuff that goes on, there's a lot of times there's urban legends that, that go on. I mean, have you guys heard? Can you... Are there any urban legends that you can either debunk or 
say, oh yeah, that's not an urban legend, that's the real thing? Or is there any, is there any kind of intrigue that goes on in here that you're aware of that's a good story? I don't know. Do you have anything in particular you're thinking of? I don't know. I don't, I, I, I doubt that John Paul Jones is really in the chapel and in the crypt of the chapel. I mean, I, you know. Well, we can't debunk her. <laughs> Neither <laughs> confirm. confirm nor deny. Yeah. Right. But there, there is word that there are some ghosts in the building. I, yeah. I have. Have you ever seen any, Tracy? I have yet to experience I any. I have had two unexplainable encounters we'll say and you can choose to interpret however you want <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to believing that I've got, I've got a story i'll tell you when we're done that, that really freaked me out so i to totally believe that i hear the hospital has its own share of, uh, i'm sure the hospital does up there as well and you know the one thing i love about the naval academy is that you learn something new pretty much every time you you come here i think if you turn around and look and dig a little bit deeper you can find, i mean we know the big things we know you know about the herndon monument and we know throw the you know throw the covers in when they graduate and everything else just last summer i learned that the uh, triton light mm -hmm. has uh, a vessel in the bottom base of it huh see look at this I'm i didn't i know like i didn't know and that you know what's in the vessel what Water. Samples of water from every seven sea. That makes sense. I know. If we had cool? just taken a minute, I mean, we could have guessed like, it. Who knew? So when they get their class rings, um, one of the things they do, they dip it in a, a converted binnacle off an old ship, mm -hmm. and they dip that in the water of the seven seas, um, which some of which we have a small a small bottle of here in the museum. But yeah, that's one of the things. That's a tradition that weds them to the navy is that they. At ring dance, they their ring is on a ribbon yeah. and they dip it. Well, the traditions that are here at the Naval Academy are just uh, fantastic, and you know some of the more public ones, but the, the, the smaller ones. Uh, you know, you hear about how this is how the underclassmen weren't allowed out by the um, gazebo, mm -hmm. uh, and that 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 was that was where the firsties went to court their court the townies yes when it was lover's lane <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, just talking to some people that are in town i know i spoke with the uh, folks that own gibson's lodging and uh, about how uh midshipman girlfriend renting rooms and the midshipman climbing the uh you know climbing the fence to get out yeah <laughs> you know, to get out and and whatnot so i mean there's some wonderful history and i you know i would say that you know certainly if you're on the yard the museum is is the place to start we um, certainly think so you're biased but i yeah, say that I mean, too we're so biased, that's <laughs> but also we're the place that's going to provide you with the most context as you see the rest of everything so that it makes a little bit more sense true well how do we get in here what are the hours and i mean obviously we talked about the website which is usna.edu slash museum visitors should like we talked about come through the the visitor center which is at gate one um have an id and be ready to walk through a uh, metal detector and then make your way towards the museum so follow look up and follow um to where you see the chapel dome or sort of kitty corner from there and at the moment we are closed on the weekends just due to some COVID staffing issues, but that is only temporary. So be sure to check back on our website and social media outlets. Um, otherwise we're opened Monday through Friday, uh, nine to five, um, closed every Tuesday, just to do upkeep, cleaning, exhibit builds, that kind of thing. Neat. Well, finally, as we start to wrap up there, Tracy, as the as the senior curator, what would you love to see in here that you don't have? 
Oh, do you have? Do, is there some? Is there something out there? That, how much that, time? Do yeah. you have? How much time do you have? Um, I, I guess I can answer this from two different points. One, we're about to start once 175 is up and open. We're about to start a small refresh of our first deck, where we're gonna kind of recontextualize some of the objects that are on there, trade them out, that kind of thing. And so we'll we'll tell a little bit of a different story. But I would really love to see more things in our collection from women graduates, um, from graduates of color. I think those are stories that, I mean, they're newer stories, so people may are not ready to part with their objects, which completely understandable. But I think that is a place that we, our collection is kind of lacking. And I think that as we move forward, that's going to be more and more what the brigade looks like. We're going to be way more multicultural and have a better gender ratio. And so I would really like to see us start getting items from people who represent that so that we can then put them on display and that future people who want to become midshipmen or the midshipmen who are currently here, when they come to the museum, they see themselves reflected back and they see that it is a place for them as well. I mean, well, also you, like the new, the newer wars, which sounds, that's a terrible well, thing makes, to say. It but makes <laughs> sense. Cause I mean, this, the newer wars, the modern you know, history. As, as, yeah. an, as an entity, I mean, this has been a, you know, man's world for hundreds of years. Yeah. And I, we, we talked with the, and I'm going to draw a blank on his name, but the, the Admiral retired that wrote the book on Herndon monument recently. Okay. And his wife graduated. They both graduated in the same class and it was the second First or second class, I think, where females were admitted. Mm -hmm. And the genesis of the book was that somebody said, hey, I, it was an author that said, I want to write a book on it. And they worked together on it. And he said, oh, my gosh, yeah, Herndon, that was just like the greatest freaking thing of mm -hmm. my, you know, I could. And his wife was like, what the hell are you talking about? That yeah. was the most miserable thing in the world. And, and and then it evolved into this whole, you know, how how the females were treated and, and, and everything else. And it was, he said it was just such an eye-opener for him. And that was something so important to bring in. And he went in and looked specifically for the females mm -hmm. throughout the years as it was, you know, and how they've been accepted. I mean, and, and obviously we're not a 50-50 type of a situation as far as admissions goes and it's getting better it's getting better it's enheartening to see you know such a staid old thing changing with the times i think it's it's very it, it feels good thank you and i think it's something that you'll see in the new exhibit when we do mm -hmm. open it because the the way that uh, somebody would w walk through it it starts out and it's the very traditional generally white males, almost entirely white males from the start. And then by the time you work your way up to modern time, it's kind of an explosion of diversity. Yeah. I know I know. when I'm here at Herndon every year, I'm always cheering for like the, the little tiny female <laughs> mid. It's going to happen sometime. I it's mean, just going to be amazing. We have gymnasts. We have cheerleaders. They're definitely capable of it. And oh, they're, they're the they're, littlest. They're not afraid to scrap and yes. get in the middle of it. Get them up there. I, I don't understand how they don't haven't figured this out yet after this many years. Oh, every every class is convinced it's them that they have they it the and that's what they never do. It's ego. Oh. Is, is, is what it is. I mean, my sure. thing is you get the football players, mm -hmm. the big guys, and the big girls on the base. And you just make this little three-sided triangle coming down and then you send like the little female gymnast just to run right up and pick it up and say, okay, let's go get lunch. I know. 
but it's the big guys who want to get Easier you to Easier said talk. than done. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to be an admiral. When I, when I was walking over here, I was looking at her and I said, you know, it seems a lot smaller today than it is. Doesn't it? It does seem smaller <laughs> on the days they are not climbing it. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Are we turning into a kinder, gentler naval academy where we're, we're shortening the... I mean, <laughs> not in that direction. Not in that direction. Well, this is great. I... Come to Preble Hall. Check out the Naval Academy Museum. It is right on the corner of, I don't know what the road is, but whatever Maryland road Avenue and Blake. What Street. is it? Maryland Avenue and Blake Road. Okay. Once the Maryland Avenue gates open, you just come right down. It's not open yet. Not open yet. Um, Fingers crossed. You know, just go down past the coffee shop. It's on the left. Mm -hmm. But come into gate one and stroll through the campus, stroll through the yard and see what it's all about, the Landmark to look for is the copper dome that is slowly turning green, <laughs> right adjacent to that. And it's, it's a wonderful place. You want to go online to usna.edu slash museum, see what they have. You want to keep your eye out for that 3D uh, oh, yes. exhibit and tour, which sounds pretty exciting. Very excited about it. Um, it's nice that you're living, that it's always changing and evolving. And this is great. This is great. Um, I want to thank Sarah McGlone, who is the managing director, and Tracy Logan is the senior curator of the museum for today. I appreciate all your time. Thank you for and, having um, us. Thank you. I can't wait to see the 3D thing. We can't wait to show it to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.